mindfulness mode. There's such an extraordinary opportunity to integrate that comes from that opening and deepening. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here today with the sole archaeologist. And if that doesn't conjure up something really interesting for you, I don't know what will, because he's a spiritual messenger, he's an author, he's a healer. Uh, our guest today is Ken W. Stone. Ken, welcome to the show. So good to have you here. Are you in mindfulness mode today, Ken? I think so. I, I've been listening to your podcast, and I, what I could say is that I'm present and embodied and deeply resonant right now, and it's wonderful to be with you and your tribe, Bruce. Oh, Thank that's you. fantastic. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Ken? Well, it's interesting because I have always looked at mindfulness as a component of the developmental journey in consciousness and a critical one as relates to what I think of as stage one consciousness, which I see as a disempowered and unintegrated dynamic. And this opportunity to become identified with and explore the silent observer and recognize that all of this distortion and noise that goes on in this disempowered dynamic, I think for every human being at different times in our lives, but most especially maybe early in our lives. And then it tends to hang on until we do the work, so to speak. And mindfulness, it seems to me, is a really essential part of that developmental stage in consciousness. And uh, yeah, really important. Ken, I'm really interested in your work as a healer. And I'd, I'd like to know when you started to realize that you had that capability. And then when were you comfortable telling people about it? <laughs> These are two great. <laughs> uh, uh, when was I comfortable? How did you know to ask that? I know. I just know to ask that question. <laughs> I can tell from meeting you that that is a good question to ask. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a good question to ask. Well, um, how I learned about this was in the fall of 2007 in September, actually, I attended my first in-residence meditation retreat. And it was with the Art of Living Foundation, if you're familiar with mm -hmm. them. It was a part two course, or what they called at the time a part two course. And there, um, I was randomly paired. Of course, nothing is actually random, but no. I was randomly paired with a fellow participant in the closing ceremony. So we've already gone through five days of silent, profound inner work and on and on. And we're doing this closing process, it includes a guided meditation and so on. And he gets out a piece of paper because we're in silence and writes on it, you should be working as a healer. And I started sobbing uncontrollably, even though I didn't know what the word healer meant. So that was the beginning. Uh -huh. And uh, I was working professionally at the time as a, um, as a mortgage lender. So that's how I was making my living. And I mean, just a reference, maybe this is a, a funny reference. It is to me, at least I was, I am a recovering type A personality, but I was fully expressed at the time. And I had just learned how to meditate in August, the month prior. And my assistant in my mortgage practice started calling me Zen Ken. 
because the change in my in my in my energy and my presence in being able to be present and not thinking that I needed to run the show and so on was so profound. So anyway, your second question, when was I comfortable telling people? You know, um it's that's a as I say, it's a really interesting question. The I hired Lynn, the gentleman who told me this, who wrote this on the paper, I hired him to do an intuitive reading and I'd never done one my entire life. I mean, I spent junior high and high school and college years in Boulder, Colorado, and still I had never hired an intuitive to, to do a reading before. So I hired him a couple of days after Christmas, 2007. And in that reading, which he does in trance. So his voice changed. I cried through the whole thing. <laughs> and what I heard him say was, you know what you're doing. You don't need to be trained. Go do it. So I, I did that. On January 1st, somebody had a, a migraine headache. And I said, apparently I'm a healer. Should we give this a shot? I put my hands on their, ha uh, my hands on their head and my hands and feet started buzzing and the headache went away. So on that level, I was talking about it. And uh, unlike the, the, the tradition or the, the general energy of social media these days, which is I'm going to get on social media and tell people how great I am, I got on social media and I hid my identity. So my Twitter feed was totally anonymous. I went to great lengths to make sure nobody would know who I was. I published a website. This all happened in 2008 and 2009. And I published a website where I started a blog, again, totally anonymously, because I was terrified that I would be sent to a psychiatric hospital or something or just rejected profoundly for being able to sort of express or communicate or explore this in a public way. So it was a bit of a paradox. It was a private exploration. Meanwhile, publicly exploring it and talking about it, but doing so anonymously. And I didn't um, really kind of step out into the world, at least online, for about two and a half years after I began exploring it. And when I did, I would say the principal question that I was exploring while I was or uh, sitting with internally while I was exploring was, is this real? Am I a fraud? Like what, what's happening? Cause it was such a departure from kind of the rational left brain world that I had grown up in and that I was making my living in as a mortgage lender. And it's very different. So. And what part of you are you still hiding today? Is that That's something really you can talk about? Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I would say a big part of my spiritual practice and is about um, practicing what I think of and teach, but really have explored and discovered kind of on my own in the sense that I haven't trained or studied under somebody. But I think of it as embodied spiritual leadership. And one of the components of that is to be just profoundly vulnerable and authentic. And I find that my separate self wants to project perfection and hide. Mm -hmm. 
And so my practice in my writing, in my teaching, in my work, public speaking, and so on, is to uh, come to a place of uncomfortable vulnerability regularly, intentionally, um, so that I both animate my separate self and give it a chance to integrate, uh, if you understand what I'm saying, and also so that my separate self um, <laughs> doesn't get to run away with the show, if, if you understand that. I mean, that happened early on. Um, there was a person who um, came to me. It all seems random at the time, but of course, as I've already said, it's none of it's random. But this this person said, I really want to help you. You know, I feel very inspired by your work and I'm very gifted in building business. And so I'm going to write your newsletter. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And they really, as we all do, sort of began projecting their idea of the idealized version of what they perceived me to be was in the newsletter. And I let that go on for a while because it felt really good yeah. to my separate self. You know, it was like, yes, I, I have figured this out. You know, I've arrived, all of this. And then after about eight months, I said to this person, I, I really am grateful for your help, but I, I need to stop this arrangement because this is feeding a part of me that is showing up to integrate. And, um, and I wrote an email to my community and I said, um, it, it wasn't an overly polite subject line, but I'll see if I can't summarize it. Enough of this marketing mess. You know, that would be the most G-rated version of it. And then I basically just called myself out. I said, you know, here I am pretending to be something that I'm not. And so... So you asked what part of me am I still hiding? I would say the parts of me that are the whole undistorted expression of divinity as me that I'm still trying to come to terms with and accept and embrace and integrate the parts that I'm really resisting around that. I think there's some intuitive awareness that I have tried to um, hide and stay hidden internally. And I think there's a larger sense of really what it is to be whole and express that, that I, I probably am still hiding. And, and I probably don't know all the things that I'm hiding, but those are the things that I'm aware of. Right. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that you're an author and you have a book coming out called Resonance the path of spiritual mastery. Can you give us a little insight as to what we will be able to expect when we read that book coming out in December of 2022? Well, the, I hope it comes out in December of 2022. We'll see when it, when it gets released, that may be a little optimistic at this point. Um, so one of the things that happens, Bruce, when I sit with people is something I think of as transmission. And I don't think of it as a transmission from me to the individual or the group. I think of it as a transmission or an enlivenment of the divine by whatever name within the individual or the group. And I'm a witness to that, if that makes sense. Um, and I realize this may sound like a bold claim, but I, I, and I don't mean it in a bold way. I just mean it in this very simple way. It's the only language I have for it. 
I feel like I get to see people as the divine sees them or witness them the way that. And so with the book, uh, what's happening is a level of refinement where there is a transmission unfolding on the page and under the words on the page. So there's an opportunity for the reader to engage their mind in thinking and considering and reflecting and maybe learning or affirming. There's an opportunity to feel in their heart something that maybe is opening already, because I, I believe that's true within all of us. Mm -hmm. And there's also an opportunity for a being experience in the hips. And in that being experience, my language for that is embodied presence or embodied resonance, divine presence. I mean it as a direct encounter with something that's already there. And so that's, I think, the opportunity with this book. The, I mean, we can talk about the the chapters and the content and all that stuff, but that's, I would say, the the big picture overview of the book. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know one of the things that you've done is you've done a number of retreats. Can you tell us about some of those retreats and what has been accomplished? Well, so the retreats tend to happen in sort of two contexts. I think of one context that I get to work with individuals and groups in as a, an exploration of the divine within. And that falls under what I think of as spiritual mastery or vertical embodiment. That is to say, an opening to a direct and deepening encounter and relationship and intimacy with the divine by whatever name within oneself for oneself. So it's sort of a private interior dynamic. And so a series of retreats that are ongoing actually are focused on that dynamic. And then the second area I think of as spiritual messenger mastery, which is like horizontal embodiment. What I mean by that is to me, we're all messengers, whether we're aware of it or not. And, but to be a messenger, at least consciously, in my view, is to be consciously aware of the manner in which the divine expresses through oneself and the role of that presence as we interact with others in the natural world. And so if we kind of divide, and of course, the first has everything to do with the second. Spiritual mastery opens an experience of ultimately one's gifts, the manner in which the divine expresses in, through, and as. So what happens on these retreats are, on one level, something that's virtually impossible to talk about. I mean, how do we get to language about these things, you know? Yeah. And on another level is a deepening experience of the whole self on every level of the being. So, yes... There's a freedom and a sense of peace emotionally and mentally and so on, but really opening into the depth of that within oneself. And 
that sort of naturally cascades into an exploration of gifts and message and mission. One thing I can say really clearly is what I don't do with people is um, try to, I mean, I offer a structure. These are structures in and of themselves, but they're temporary structures. So we can learn some practices, we can go through some experiences and they're meaningful. But as I'm teaching, I'm saying this has to be temporary because the purpose of practice is to open, at least in my view, is to open to that experience of what's already there. And then once you begin having that, you can kick the scaffolding over. So, yeah, I guess that's not a very succinct summary, but it's it's that kind of work that is going on on retreat and that is so, I mean, I love it. It's so extraordinary to be able to witness individuals and groups in this kind of transformation. How many people are usually present at one of your retreats? They've, they've been um, fairly modest sized retreats so far. So historically they were in the kind of 20 to 30 uh, participants range. I just did a workshop in um, Tucson, Arizona in June of this year. And there were I think maybe about 80 people who participated. It was a two-day workshop. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually did it with a group in person and then also streamed it you know, concurrently. So people that weren't able to be in Tucson or travel to the venue or, you know, for whatever reason. And uh, yeah, and that was fascinating. You know, I love working with um, with people both in person and virtually because, you know, there are advantages in both situations. You know, when yeah. you're at home, you have your home situation that's being enlivened and you're doing the work. Right. And when you're at a retreat facility or, or location, then that's not necessarily happening and other things are able to open up. So do you think you'll continue with that format when you do retreats that you'll continue to uh, have mm. them available remotely? I would love to be able to do that at least some of the time. You know, one of the recurring retreats that I've been doing for the last, um, well, since about March of 2020, and I do it every other week, is entirely virtual. So um, so that, and when I began it, I had no idea that it would continue on this long. You know, I thought, oh, we'll do this for, you know, a couple of times and see what happens, but not what happens as in, are we going to continue more how does this serve people and support them in opening up? Yeah, I'd love to be able to, you know, there's always an interesting kind of dynamic though around the streaming piece. And so I think it's probably, it's more of a case by case scenario than just trying to say, this is what I always want to do. But I mean, I love connecting with people. To me, the opportunity to sit with somebody who's encountering the divine for the first time or at a deeper level, I mean, it, it moves me to tears frequently. And so the opportunity to do that and support as many people as possible is just resonates deeply within me. And you still also do one-on-one work too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I kind of do a couple of different levels of work. So I do, you know, intro classes that are just completely free. Um, I've, I I haven't done stuff on YouTube in a while, but I've in the past I've been very active on on YouTube. I'm sure I'll pick up and do more there um, as I'm inspired. So obviously that's entirely free, no opt-in or anything going on there. And uh, and then I teach kind of intro level 
um, programs into each of those sequences into spiritual mastery and spiritual messenger mastery. And then I, I do work with people one-on-one initially, you know, sort of way back when wasn't that many years ago, but for me, it feels like almost a different lifetime. You know, I worked with a lot of people who had physical ailments and challenges and other things like that. And over time, um, what's tended to happen is the people in my private practice are spiritual messengers who are out in the world, not all of them, but some with a big message, some very well-known authors, speakers, healers, and so on, who are kind of doing that that last 3% of work, if you understand what I mean. And for whatever reason, and I, I mean, I, I love it profoundly to be able to sit in that space and support people in doing that work. And I also realize that um, not everyone is in the space to do that work. And it's important to me to make sure that the way the divine expresses through me is accessible to people in, in different ways so that, you know, it's available for those that feel drawn to it and feel resonant with, with engaging in that kind of experience. Right. Ken, I know that you really enjoy writing. Are you working on something else now? You know, I'm really in the refinement process with the book right now. Um, and I also have, um, I mean, the book kind of mirrors the, the sequence of classes. So when I started writing, this is an interesting theme I've heard you explore with other people. When I started writing, I thought, oh, this is the first book, you know? Yeah. And I, I had taught, or actually when I first wrote, I hadn't taught anything yet. So I was just writing raw stuff, you know? And I thought, okay, here is the structure starting to form itself and I'm going to go teach this. And then I kept writing and I would think, well, I wonder if I need to clarify this more. Um, I'm going to put something in the introduction about this. And all of a sudden the introduction got longer and longer and longer. And I realized, oh, there's an entirely different program here. There's an intro class here. And this book, as it turns out, is the intro class that used to be the introduction of the book. <laughs> so, which I've actually taught now multiple times. And then in the writing process, it's not just about transcribing what I've taught. Of course, it's just a much more intimate experience. Anyway, to your question, there's, so this is the, an, the analogous um, place in the sequence to igniting resonance, which is like the introductory class. But then there's a class on practices. There's a class on opening up to the messenger within and awakening that. And so I can see all these books unfolding in front of me, even as I'm working on this one, because that's what I'm teaching and working with on a regular basis. Your website is Ken wstone.com and i'm just wondering is that how most people find you or how how do most people discover you you know i think it's a god thing i don't know i mean i think a lot of people do find me, me on the web and but a lot of them aren't even sure how they landed there you know it's uh, somebody will say, I got an email from somebody talking about you and I said your name out loud and something happened in my body and I saw a light flash and I knew, or, you know, the world renowned intuitive, um, gets in touch through my website and says, my guides have been telling me reach out to Ken Stone and work with him. I mean, it's just all sorts of, you know, things that are kind of don't make a lot of sense in the, in the, from the 
perspective of the illusion of separation, but in wholeness, you know, resonate deeply. And then of course, you know, the messengers that I work with, um, you know, sometimes I'll mention to a colleague, you know, this guy's too weird for words, but I think he might be the right person for you, you know, and then I'll get a phone call and somebody will say, Hey, so-and-so apparently knows about you and thinks, you know, you might be a good, so yeah. But the web is a, is a wonderful kind of opening point to all of that. Uh, it really is. I always ask a question about bullying, Ken, and I, yeah. I'm just wondering if you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. I what I was remembering is that um, it's, it's such a you have such an interesting presence, Bruce. I really want to acknowledge and thank you for that. Um, thank you. You, yeah, being with you, I feel like we've been sharing time together even before we're sharing time together now. And so, what I started remembering was that um, my family moved from Grinnell, Iowa to Boulder, Colorado the summer before my seventh grade and before I started seventh grade, which at the time was called junior high. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and I was profoundly naive when I was going into seventh grade. And I mean, who knows why, but who cares about the story? Right. And I was very tall and very naive. I'm now six foot five. I think I must have been close to six foot tall, maybe taller. And although I look like a retired American football player now, I didn't then. I was kind of a beanpole. Yeah. So, um, and so I must have made a very attractive target to this particular person. And he he slammed. So I I I was bullied physically. I mean, he he threw me into lockers in the locker room some of his friends held me down in shop class and he hit me on the head with the handle end of a screwdriver. So I was in such a naive place in my development as a adolescent that I don't think it affected, or at least I don't remember it affecting my internal narrative. But I would draw that in sharp contrast to the dynamic that seems to have been unfolding for some time now for adolescence. And it seems to me, at least from my perspective, that social media plays a really important role in that shift. And I, I mean, mindfulness, I think, would have supported me in being able to be more fully present with the experience for sure at that, that place in my life. And I can see it so essentially today for adolescents because there seems to be just this huge focus on the external as the source of meaning. And so bullying just amplifies that dynamic. And, and what more powerful resource is there than mindfulness in counteracting that dynamic without bullying and then with bullying. I mean, it just seems like it amplifies the essential nature of mindfulness in supporting that developmental work in coming to a calm interior with oneself. So it's a powerful question, Bruce. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that and for being vulnerable enough to open up about it. That must've been a really traumatic time for you. I guess it was. I mean, I think it was, 
one of the things that I remember happening and I guess it's sort of one of those rear view mirror things where you see it after the fact rather than realizing it at the time. I mean, we were in Grinnell, Iowa. That was my dad's first teaching position. He's, he was a professor of uh, political science and he taught there first. And so I don't know, idyllic dynamic, whatever it was, small town in the Midwest and then moving to Boulder and just sort of having to make this transition. And so I guess this bullying sort of played a part in that transition, which probably would have been kind of a rough transition anyway. And I suppose that might've made it more, much more challenging in some ways. And do you remember when it ended? I think it, it all took place in this, in my seventh grade year. And I don't remember it actually lasting for that long. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's kind of this echo that's going on for me. If it's okay, I'd like to share it with you. Yeah, please. There's this interesting disconnect for me that's always been a little confusing. And I realize maybe the first time, at least that I'm consciously aware of it, was in the bullying dynamic. And that is when I'm with people, I tend to just see them as they really are as undistorted expressions of divinity. Now, I'm not going to even pretend that I had any conscious awareness of that in seventh grade. I mean, I have conscious awareness over the last 10 years or something, but certainly not when I was that young. And that natural experience is confusing because people rarely show up that way. You know, their behavior, it's just the illusion of separation. The separate self is in noise and and so that's always been kind of confusing to me. And that, in some way, I guess I see it now as maybe a supportive help in some way and in helping me navigate that. Like snap too, man, there's a, there's a big difference between what's really going on and what you're experiencing. And I'm sure I overcompensated in some ways and so on and so forth. But yeah. Interesting. Well, it is interesting to talk to you about this. Ken, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 okay. second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Yeah. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Uh, Eckhart Tolle. The Power of Now. Um, I cried the first time I read it. I knew there was something profound going on there. And it agitated the heck out of me as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I could say, you know, Eckhart Tolle. Well, let's talk about your emotions for question yeah. two. How has mindfulness helped you deal with your own emotions? Well, I mean, being able to shift into that observer and understand that has been huge for me. I can actually remember when it happened. Um, Dan Millman's book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And that actually, I woke up spiritually as I was reading that book. That happened about a year before I learned about my spiritual gifts. It was in the fall of 2006. And I'd read Buddhist philosophy for years and not understood it. Why are we contemplating death? What is this whole thing? And there's that, I didn't know it was a movie at the time, but I thought of it as a scene where he's describing his body decomposing in the field. And it just snapped. There it is. And that was, I would say, the first conscious awareness that I had of this dynamic I'd been trying to work with for a long time. Let's talk about breathing. 
Is there a certain aspect of breathing that is important to you when it comes to mindfulness? Oh man. Breathing is the, it's the opening, right? It's the, it's the constant companion. So if somebody comes to me and says, listen, I feel wrapped up in this noise. What's the first thing I could do? I want to talk about soul embodiment, which is one of the things that, you know, I think naturally happens the divine through me. And if they say, well, what, what do I do there? I say, okay, forget about that. Let's just do some breathing to start. Yeah. So I think the breath is such a beautiful and profound opening. I'm looking forward to your book being published so I can read it. And uh, again, your book is called, and I'm just looking here, Resonance, The Path of Spiritual Mastery. So Mindful Tribe, look for that book when it does come out, when it publishes. But in the meantime, are there any other books that you recommend? And you've already recommended Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, for sure. The Power of Now. I, I think, I mean, it's astonishing how many messengers I run into where Dan Millman's book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, is a big impact. You know, another book that I think is really profound is um, Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements. Yes. I think that is just, I mean, talk about a distillation of profound awareness and insight. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. It really is. Truly. Are there any apps that you recommend or that you use yourself that can help with mindfulness? You know, I don't use any apps. I think of the the body as the the ultimate app, but I was I was thinking about this and there is a track of music that I for those that resonate deeply with music. It's by Gary Malkin and it includes uh Titnot Han singing and speaking. And I think it's Tit's bro brother singing and Titnot Han is speaking on it. It is incredible. And the name of the track is The End of Suffering. And it is, I mean, I just resonate on every level of my being and have ever since I first heard it. I listened to it this morning. It's so beautiful. We will put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So thanks for sharing that. The End of Suffering. Yeah, Gary Malkin is the, I think it's his his album, and then Titnot Han is speaking on it. And I don't know, did Titnot Han have a brother? I think he did, and I think he's singing. I don't know. Maybe it's a brother monk that's singing. I don't right. know. Yeah, I'm not but, sure yeah. about the answer to that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, as yeah. we wrap up the interview, are there any other uh, thoughts or words of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners? You know, I think the the thing that I just come back to over and over again is the mystery that opens when we are able to become just a little bit present. And from my perspective, sitting here with you today, Bruce, that opening continues and deepens. And as far as I can tell, it just keeps opening and deepening. And I think that is so beautiful. And there's such an extraordinary opportunity to integrate that comes from that opening and deepening, which in turn opens and deepens it even further. So I would just really encourage everyone who's participating and listening to stay with your practice and open more fully 
to whatever is showing up and, and congratulations on the work you're doing. And yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the work you do. And uh, I just appreciate you. I appreciate you, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. And it's been an honor to share this time with you. All the best to you. Bye, Ken. Bye for now. I want to thank Athletic Greens for being my sponsor. Athletic Greens offers this product called AG1, and it is a product that you mix with water, and it uh, provides you with so many nutrients. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no awful chemicals or artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep and better alertness. It just uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than $3 a day. And if you buy using my affiliate link, you'll get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. So this affiliate link uh, benefits me, it benefits you. Just go to athleticgreens.com mindfulness. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.